Oh boy. All right. So it is seven in the morning. For you. It's 1030 for me. Sure. Sorry. I have had a coffee. Mm -hmm. But I made (laughs) pistachio instant pudding. Oh my gosh. That looks delicious. Check out this color. Yes. That color is great. Did Okay. You used actual pistachios, right? No, I used Jell-O instant pistachio pudding mix, which apparently it does have actual pistachios. Like there are chunks, which I'm actually concerned about. Huh. I was trying I also, to ascertain from that question whether or not the green color was pistachio naturally derived coloring, you know? I'm going to say not. I skimmed the ingredients. There were like chemical-y things, so I'm not sure. All right. Well, I'm very excited. I wish I had pistachio pudding. I to prompt me yesterday to actually get some shit done, I ordered pistachio ice cream off of Uber Eats. Ooh. And it was delicious. It was pistachio almond, and I sat there eating it, not doing anything that I was supposed to be doing. I was just like, yeah, this is real nice. So, I wanted pistachio ice cream, but then I happened to be, like, walking down the pudding aisle, and I was like, this looks fun and hilarious. I love a pudding, like a jello pudding. I think that's so fun. Okay, the thing is, I used oat milk instead of regular milk, because, of course. Of course. But I'm concerned that it didn't have, like, a high enough fat content, because this looks heckin' watery, and it sat for, like, 20 minutes, and it's supposed to take three. It gets very loose. Is the fat content not higher on oat milk? I don't know. Okay, I base this on no actual fact, but the fact that the barista at Bell Cafe once, when I was like, yeah, I want an oat milk cappuccino, which I miss every goddamn day. Every day, that's my favorite thing about Vancouver, besides, obviously, the people I love there, is that lady and her oat milk cappuccinos. Anyways, and she's like, yeah, it's so easy to make gorgeous foam with it, because the fat content is so high. You try making it with fucking almond milk, and I'm just like, hmm. Well, almond milk's a disaster. Yeah. But in in coffee shops, they use, like, barista-quality oat milk, which is different. Yeah, no, I know that, but, like... I still feel like it has a higher fat content. Like, that makes sense, right? I don't don't know. It doesn't make sense. I'm just making things up now. I can't tell if this is good or not. Mm. I actually like the crunchy pistachio bits. I imagine that would be quite nice in there. But it is too runny. Mm. Like... Oh, yeah, that's full soup. (laughs) Okay, so now that this... (laughs) Now that the pudding pudding portion of the moment. Um, By the way, welcome to Pantry Staples, everybody. I'm Marika. And I'm Emily. This is the podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. Fabulous. Today's episode (laughs) is pistachios. (laughs) Which is very exciting because this is probably one of the oldest historically eaten foods that we've done so far. Um, I will get started if that's all right with you. Yeah, very exciting. All right, so we should first discuss what we're just like what we're talking about, set the parameters of this as Mm -hmm. per usual. So pistachia vera L, that is like the scientific name for this, but it comes from the family of the cashew tree. It, there's also a bunch of things that are pistachia vera, but they're not edible. So we are for the intents and purposes of this exclusively talking about the edible like fruit slash nut, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because be weird if we're talking about other things on a food related podcast. What are Um, the ones... Sorry, what are the ones that are not edible? Are they, like... It's, like, trees, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, it just... Do- it doesn't bear fruit. It's not that it, like, bears, like, poisonous or, like, super hard fruits. I think it does both. So I think mm-hmm. that there's... Trees. I didn't look super closely into it, I will admit that. Yeah. 
but I believe that there are some that are not edible, but then there's also uh, some that just don't have fruit at all. Cool. And I think it's just quite like a large umbrella of a family. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so the pistachio is indigenous to the arid zones of Western Asia. So this is going to be Iran, Iraq, Turkey, that sort of area. Um, that's great. So it's a food with a very long history and it has a very long archaeologically recorded history, which I think is most interesting. If we compare it to last week's discussion on tomatoes, where we really struggled to find archaeological remains of this and we're exclusively using kind of the tools and implements and guesstimating basically that they were used for that, which I think is a safe guess for the Mm -hmm. record. But, you know, this we actually have remnants of it. So we see remains of crushed pistachios uh, and the Ippi epipaleolithic and the neolithic sites from the levant to western iran so that's approximately uh, 10,000 to 4500 bce which is quite an extensive period of time but yeah. interesting that we are seeing those the shells and everything crushed up which also gives evidence to their use as potentially oil uh, it seems that they were using it like they were preparing it in this manner to extract the oils from it which is Right, because the oils always comes from the shells, which I feel yeah. like I didn't know <laughs> until no. recently. But it makes yeah. sense, I guess. I suppose. This is at the time that we're talking about, so that 10,000 to 4,500 BCE. This is a wild crop. It's important to the subsistence of the population, but it is still wild and not cultivated. Mm-hmm. Um you can't settle in a location without food naturally occurring that's going to help your diet. So obviously this was very important to the increase in populations in these areas. So again, we've seen like there's the first city is founded far before this in kind of the Middle Eastern, Near Eastern area. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that this is what formed it or anything like that, but obviously the more kind of like healthy fats and genetic or not genetic uh, food diversity you have in an area, the better off you are. Totally. Um, So beyond that, we have mentions of pistachios in, I looked up how to say it yesterday, the cuneiform texts. You know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's like embarrassing how bad I am at these things. And I blame it exclusively on being a nerd that read a lot when I was a kid. But that's common. You're fine. Yeah. You know the struggle. You're just like, yes, I was another bitch that went to the library a lot. Thank you for that. Um. Anyways, so we have mentions of pistachios in these cuneiform texts. There's recipes even, which I think is really cute. The University of, I believe it was Yale when I read it, they have these recipes. And there was this big conference where everybody, um, like all these different historians of food came together and they made all these weird dishes that they had these ancient (gasps) recipes for. And um, Yale has not yet disclosed these recipes. Like they're not translated in a way that we can utilize them. But that's pretty nifty, right? Can you imagine that's like, making like a stew is what they did actually. That's the dream. Yeah. that is. <laughs> I, as I was reading that article, I was just like, and nobody sent me an invite. That's pretty rude. Um, anyways. So the cuneiform texts are like, that's Sumerian. So between the 31st century CE or BCE to the second century BCE, I would hazard a guess that it's far closer, obviously to the second century BCE, <laughs> but that is, just in general, the time for those texts. Uh, we have Old Babylonia, so that's 2nd century BCE, where there's mentions of it as well. Um, now we have common consumption from as early as 6750 BCE. These finds come from a dig site in Jarmo in northeastern Iraq. Oh, okay. So this is like a huge history to mm-hmm. contend with, which is very cool. That's not to say it's wildly popular food stuff, though. It's being used, obviously, it's popular, but it's not like 
it's not ubiquitous to the diet, I suppose. Um, we don't see the mm. real popularization until around 2000 BCE. So the population of the Near East at this time is increasing, and subsequently the cultivation of new foods becomes more of an interest and like a priority. Uh, the modern pistachio was first cultivated in the Bronze Age, so 3000 to 1200 BCE. That's just the period for the Bronze Age, not necessarily this cultivation. <laughs> right. uh, in Central Asia, where the earliest example is from Jarkutan, which is modern Uzbekistan. Mm. Uh, so this nut continues to be cultivated, consumed in much the same way for hundreds of years. We also have mention of it. This is super cool in the hanging gardens of Babylon, that, <gasps> like in the mentions of those, which again, I couldn't find the actual like mentions, but there are people who report this. So I'm going to take it as absolute goddamn fact because I like it. So there, um, is it, do you think it could be like a translation thing where it's, there is a lot in term, like to talk about in terms of the translation, I will not be talking about it because it's too no, confusing, no. and also like kind of not the most interesting yeah. for our purposes. But I, I think that they're pretty certain when they do mention it because uh, I'll get to that. I have a couple of quotes oh, yeah, after okay. that yeah. discuss like kind of how we're talking about these things. Mm-hmm. But it's said that during the reign of King Merodach Baladon, uh, which is about seven hundred BCE, uh, that he planted pistachios in the Garden of Babylon which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, pistachios are introduced into Italy by the Roman proconsul in Syria, which is Lucius Vitellus, the elder. He was in office around 35 CE uh, and into Hispania at the same time by Flaccus Pompeius, which Hispania is like Spain, that kind of region, which yes. by the way, gave Romans such a fucking hard time. Um, they them. were not having a good time going over there. Nothing to gain, no gold, no riches, just an unruly bunch of Spaniards. Again, I feel like we've really shat on the Spanish recently in this, like, every episode. <laughs> These fuckers. But maybe, in general. but maybe they should have learned from not liking to be, I don't know, conquered by foreign troops. And, and mm. It would be interesting if anyone learned anything from the past, but that doesn't seem to be the way of people, so. Anyway. Heck no. Nope, nope, nope. And again, even for, like, myself, like, I'll constantly do stupid shit, like, multiple times and just be like, I guess this is not working. Weird, huh? Ugh, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, so this time around, like, 35 CE, that's when we see pistachios being spread into, like, wider regions of Europe as opposed to just that kind of, like, Near Eastern area. Um, So we have a quote from Pliny the Elder in his Natural Histories. The Macedonians have made mention of various other kinds of trees, the greater part of which, however, are without names. There is one which resembles the terebinth, which is, again, one of the translations of this that we have to contend with. In every respect except the fruit, which is very similar to an almond, although less in size and remarkable for its extreme sweetness. So they are talking about a pistachio there, but they often refer to it as similar to an almond. Um, So then we also have in Genesis 43.11, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds, which I thought was adorable. And Mm -hmm. I just love how this is being treated as like a a nice, like welcome kind of like gift to another person. And I think that that is very integral to the kind of the identity that pistachios have, especially in the Near East, if I'm not overstepping to say that. I don't want to assume a cultural importance of them, but I think that that is definitely there. I think so. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit, like, touch on briefly, like, they're kind of a luxury item yeah. in, like, a lot of ways. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just I think nuts in general are they're so fucking yeah. expensive mm-hmm. if somebody gave me a bag of pistachios I'd be like actually you know what somebody has given me multiple bags of pistachios shout out to Alex McClellan who's a family I was gonna bring this up later when you talked about Fresno but um they own a pistachio farm there they're not Cute. the guy that you read that article about um and she would constantly give uh me bags of pistachios for Steve because he's fucking obsessed with them you know that Blake cannot pass an aisle with pistachios in a grocery store and not buy them there was a time when we had like four bags and he was like, should we get pistachios? And it's like, we have some already at home. I was like, do we? Yes. That's hilarious. And like a really, also just like, again, I've been so worried about the end of the world recently that I'm just like, should I start hoarding nuts? Like Perry and I were chatting yesterday and I was just going off about how, you know, what should we prepare for in the event of an apocalypse? I have a case of Perrier in my house because Lord knows I'm not drinking fucking still water in the apocalypse and uh, a seed bank that we should start. So if you'd like to get in on that, please let me know. Seed banks. Ooh. And like dried beans. Yeah, exactly. Just like a lot of preservable things that Mm -hmm. we can carry on to our new life in the wilderness. Um, Horrifying. (laughs) Yep. So we also have an early sixth century manuscript de observazione ciborum on the observance of food by Anthemus, which implies that pistachios remain well known in Europe in late antiquity. So Mm. that's pretty much like, I don't really want to go into any further history. And I know that this is extremely short today, but that's what it is. Like they were there, they were popular, then they got spread around. People talked about them. They were into them. Um, But I'm not really, there's not much to contend with in terms of like the Middle Ages and that. And then it hasn't been uber popular for later. But I did want to also just let you know, it's this study that I read that if we're talking science, 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 oh boy, this was the scienciest of that. Um, (laughs) But it was very interesting. So I'll briefly try and unpack what I learned there. Yeah. So there can be considered different varieties of pistachios, which I think makes sense because they are grown in a variety of regions. Uh, depending on the geographical location of origin. So these are called the Bronte, the Kerman, the Kern, the Lar- Larnaca, sorry, the Mawardi, and the Matur. These are not necessarily determinable based on taste or appearance, though. So they have to have chemical analysis done on them to determine it. And they're looking at phenotypic characteristics of them, which I, for the life of me, tried to figure out, but I couldn't. But anyways, like... It's just like DNA and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and like the fatty acids and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. you are seeing different levels of fatty acids from some in like regions like grown in Italy versus the ones grown in Greece versus the ones grown in Turkey versus the ones grown in California. So I think that that's really interesting that like, even though these nuts do look and taste the exact same wherever you're getting, well, not the exact same, but like very similar from wherever you're getting them, they are going to be quite different, like on a cellular level. That is interesting. And that actually kind of speaks to some, I didn't really talk about it in my notes here, but sort of like as like a thread through a lot of my readings, it was kind of like, yeah, like all of the pistachios are pretty much from the States now, but it's like, that's not necessarily a great thing because like the ones from like Iran are better or Mm -hmm. more buttery. And uh, yeah, it seems like it is different, but it's just. And again, to speak to that point, it's the consistent theme of just like, why the fuck are we getting monocrops? Like this is terrible. (laughs) Stop letting one place dominate the production of this. Um, but that's yeah. another thing. So I don't know if you want to discuss like current statistics of uh, pistachio imports a little bit later because I have some stats on that. Uh, but maybe that ties in a bit after you do your stuff. Yeah, let's. Uh, well, okay. So my like notes kind of begin with just like the beginning of pistachios in like the like nineteen thirty one to nineteen forty five. Yeah, perfect. And then, yeah, okay, so I'll just do that for now. So yes, two and a half to three million pounds of pistachios were imported 
to the U.S. annually from 1931 to 1945. But then from 1946 to 52, the imports like skyrocketed to five and then nine million pounds annually. So the massive growth in popularity has been attributed to the advent of the vending machine. Yeah, which was basically responsible for like increased sales of all nuts, like peanuts initially, I think, like in particular. But so for pistachio sales, do you think that that has to do with the accessibility of like, oh, they're in a vending machine, we can get them anytime? Do you think it has to do with the fact that like now, like they're being sold as something you could, you should be consuming, like just as a snack on the go? Is it like the being in vending machines takes the kind of like, not the allure of them or anything like that, but just like the, the sort of like, expensive gatekeeper-esque aspect of that out of the picture and they're just like fuck it anyone can have them they're in a fucking machine yes i think so and i think just like being able to see them and having them be mm. so yeah like ubiquitous and in sort of like a more common space you're like oh yeah like i've had those before like i can just grab a bag for like i don't know a nickel how much did things cost in 1940 i don't know i don't know and yeah it's literally probably <laughs> a nickel because the economy and inflation and science 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 yeah, but it's super cool, because I always kind of assumed that that was a thing with peanuts, but I didn't know that pistachios were that popular. But then I guess it kind of makes sense, because, like, freaking instant pistachio pudding has been around forever. Like, when we were doing ice cream, I read so many like, references to, like, pistachio flavorings being a part yes. of it. People are obsessed with their pistachio-based, like, desserts. Is it because it's green? <laughs> I don't think that that hurts. I think that that's probably a good fun part of it. Bitches love a food that gives you like a fun color. Just in general, like I don't think you can, can you use it for a dye? I don't think so. But like. I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, I mean this like this little pudding here is like literally the color of the 50s. The color of the 50s. Yes, <laughs> that's it. Pistachios, the color of the 50s. <laughs> It's true. I feel like I literally had a sink that exact color when I first moved into my apartment in Vancouver, which was horrific. I love it. I want a fridge that color. Yeah. You have far more fun taste than I do. I just want all my <laughs> shit white. That chic, minimalist aesthetic. Anyways, please continue. Mm. Okay, so speaking of the 50s. Uh, in the 50s, the pistachios became popular enough that they are sold in bulk and pre-packaged form. So it's not just vending machines anymore. It's like people know them and are buying them on quantities, like bigger quantities. So at that time, only a very small quantity was being produced in California, but not anymore. So now California is America's largest producer of pistachios. I read a bunch of conflicting numbers, but like most of them average around 98% of yeah. all of the American pistachios are from California. Yeah. So processing pistachios in California is fully mechanized, which we've kind of talked about with other episodes, but here they don't really have a need for human pickers, apparently, which... Oh, that's interesting. I mean, not like really, but then they still need people to like run the machines and do other things. So brief kind of like, what does it look like to harvest pistachios? A tractor drives along, shakes and shakes the pistachio trees which allows the clusters to fall into a separate like container compartment of the tractor. Pistachios are then quickly rushed to the processing plant so that the soft external hull can be remo removed. If they wait too long, then the hull starts to rot and can discolor the shell, which makes the nuts completely unfit for sale. Some companies I also read bleach the shells to hide this. Mm -hmm. But another thing that they do, which was dye them red, 
So, yeah, my mom was telling me about red pistachios. And then I read an article in the Huffington Post that said that up until like the 80s, most pistachios were coming from Iran still. Mm-hmm. And they were using like more traditional harvesting techniques and didn't get the hulls off as like carefully or quickly. And so like, then you've got these kind of like splotchy, I don't know, splotchy shells, which doesn't look as nice and like almost looks like they're rotten, but it's just mm-hmm. like discoloration. So then, yeah, they just like dyed them red, which looks horrifying. To yeah, me, I but... do not like that. Uh, So the red nuts kind of faded into obsolescence as American producers took over during the 1979 to 81 embargo on Iranian products because of the hostage crisis. Yes. I, yeah, I was going to say Iran was the like sole exporter in like 1974 and then you get to 1979 and it's like, nope, that's it. Uh, Yeah. As I mentioned like earlier, their Iranian pistachios are supposedly like a little bit better tasting and like mm-hmm. butterier, which has been attributed to the fact that they don't irrigate their pistachios. They just mm. use like normal rainfall, which allows like the flavors to concentrate or something. That makes sense. I read a lot of things just about like how Turkey was like trying to get really into the market, but was struggling because they don't have the water management that Iran does like to get it Mm. to the same taste profile. Speaking of Turkey, I read this somewhere and then couldn't find another source, but I'm going to say it anyway, because Mm. it's interesting, which is that Israel imports Iranian pistachios, but then repackages them as coming from Turkey because they don't want to be seen as buying (laughs) enemy nuts. Okay, you sent this to me being like, like, isn't this fun? And I was like, I tried to find more sources on it too. And I couldn't find anything, but I'm just like, it just makes sense. Like that just completely makes sense. I love that Mm -hmm. fact. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's fun. And just like the idea that somebody would be like, I fucking hate your country, but I do need these nuts. Gotta have the nuts. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's a quote that kind of like distills all of the like mechanized pistachio crop kind of into numbers. So mm-hmm. all told, 36 men operating six machines will harvest uh, the orchard in six days. Each tree produces 38 pounds of nuts. Typically, each pound sells wholesale for 4.25. The math works out to 162 dollars a tree. The pistachio trees in Wonderful number six million. That's a billion dollar crop. Holy shit. So, who owns this billion dollar crop of wonderful pistachios? It is the world's largest pistachio farmer, Stuart Resnick. Hmm. And yes, this is California, baby. Let's do a fun deep dive on the Resnicks. Lovely. So they claim or have been claimed to own America's second largest produce company, valued at approximately $4.5 billion, which actually seems low given some of the other things. But then again, okay, we'll get back there. So along with- Sorry, if they have Mm. a crop of pistachios that's worth a billion dollars every year, how is it only 4 point whatever billion that they're- Again, I don't know how like economics works. I don't know how things- I don't know how economics works. Science. And and again, it's like they've been in business like doing this for- like years so i think Mm. some of the numbers kind of like go all over the place like i think yeah hard to get a consistent like account yeah okay so along with wonderful pistachios which is the pistachios that you buy in the grocery store like it's yeah i can picture the bag it's the only pistachio (laughs) sold in like north america i mean it isn't but 
Okay, but there's there's definitely like other brands of pistachios that you can buy, but are they owned by them as well? I don't know. I don't think so because they definitely like they're want, like they're huge on branding as I will get to. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you can get others, but I think it is definitely like the most ubiquitous. And again, like they're the largest Amer- like they're 98% of the US pistachios and I don't know where I even have this number, but US exports it's like hundreds yeah. of thousands of tons of numbers. Okay, so along with wonderful pistachios, the Resnicks own Fiji water. I do like that water. I don't know about bottled water. Uh, they own Teleflora, which is like a flower delivery service. Palm Wonderful. Palm Wonderful. Yeah, like the pomegranate juice. No. Halos, which is those like tiny little mandarin or- oranges formerly known as cuties, which I love. It's the only orange I'll eat. Oh. Um, they also have like a bunch of almond groves. So it's it's a lot. They have uh, 73,000 acres of pistachios as of mm. one article that I read published in January 2018. Oh my God. They produce 65% of U.S. pistachios. So 65% of 98% of the entire, or no, 65% of all of American pistachios? I'm California like, is 98, yeah. Yeah. With like the sanctions on Iran and just like the fucking bullshit in the, the world going on like that's like probably close to like 65% of the market in general like I'd say so mm-hmm. production in Iran tail falling as low as 7% due to US trade sanctions against Iran climate change a weak economic blah 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 that was in 2019 so mm-hmm. they're and like Turkey's not doing a ton of other stuff Greece isn't really exporting like from there they're mainly just ingesting them Mm -hmm. i feel like china had like some but they're just doing their own thing with it so that's like an enormous percentage of the entire market like that's the entire world getting these fucking nuts yeah they have like they have a total monopoly so there used to be a california pistachio commission if you remember the california avocado commission oh mon dieu (laughs) so it's like the sort of like, I don't know, like consortium of like producers and they all market together. But he was like, no, no, no. And just like killed it because he has over 50% I, shit. I thought you were going to say he just killed them. And I was like, whoa, this yeah, is a real murdered them all. Um, no. <laughs> Slander. Not that no, no, no. That. So he, he, yeah, he made the commission just like defunct. And so now if you like Google like pistachios, like in the, in like America or like California pistachios, it's just him. Um, yeah, because he wanted to control his own marketing, which we will get to later. Mm. Obviously, having a monopoly has its perks. In 2016-ish, the pistachio price climbed from $4.50 a pound to $5.25 a pound. And he's quoted as saying, the price isn't going down because he won't let it go down. Sorry, that's just quoting about him. Yeah. Uh, hmm. There was also a thing where he once threatened to sue over bees. <laughs> Shut up. It- <laughs> I'm just picturing him, like, in court with a hive on the other side of the courtroom. It's just, like, him versus the queen bee. <laughs> it was more over, like, his, like, neighbor, like, farmers, because he didn't want the bees coming in, like, pollinating his, like, orange groves. But he was, like, fully, like, I will sue you if you don't have these bees out of here. And it's, like, sir, not, not so our job. <laughs> we do not employ these bees. Oh, my gosh. Um, he is currently suing rival nut growers Touchstone Pistachio Company in the San Joaquin Valley of California. So as recently as July 14th. Jesus. I know. I'm going to be doing a lawsuit during this pandemic. Truly. 
Uh, yeah, so he's just, like, suing them and basically being, like... For existing? Kind of, yeah, and just being, like, using... I, I mean, I didn't even know. I read the article. I thought I had more quotes from it and stuff, but I was just like, eh, it's just... He has a monopoly and really intends to keep it that way. He's also, like, in his, like, 80s. Oh, if I'm still getting up to trouble in my 80s, I've done something yes. wrong. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. But basically, like, who knew that pistachios were such high stakes? Here's a <laughs> fun quote from him in regards to that lawsuit. Quote, I am going to war with you. I'm going to do stuff to you that I would not do to other competitors because I have to make sure you are not successful. What a fucking douche. Just like, just like, sir, is this necessary? Like, anyway. And like, also the like, the sheer intensity that that demonstrates is wild. Yeah, and to like, he's so serious about it. Mm-hmm. And to basically say that in a way where it's like, you're going to be quoted in the paper, sir. Like, <laughs> I feel like people just don't give a fuck, though. They're just like, whatever, like, I'll say what I'm going to say. Like, he's 80. His brain is probably slightly mushy at this point. Not to be ageist. I certainly wouldn't want to imply that. There's definitely some with it 80 year olds, but he seems yeah. fucked. But also completely within like his wits. I guess he was just like, who's going to read the Hanford Sentinel? I don't know. <laughs> um... <laughs> So yeah, so just like a brief description. Yes, so he's a, he's exactly how you picture him. He's like, kind of like a no neck white man in Mm -hmm. his like late 70s, early 80s. Just like very like placid smile. In a lot of pictures, he's wearing a t shirt under a sports coat, which I hate. (laughs) It's a bold look. Yeah, it's like, I'm so hip. There is a way where it can work. And then there's a way where it's like, sir, you're not like a beatnik. Anyway, so back to Stuart Resnick. Here's this fun quote about him. (laughs) Quote, Stuart wants to be a benevolent dictator, but if he thinks you're defying him, he'll start with, nobody realizes the good I've done for agriculture. Then he moves on to, do you know who I am? Do you know what I am? I'm a billionaire. Oh my gosh. I mean, those are not direct quotes of him, but that is his vibe. I'm so into the fact that he considers himself a benevolent dictator but also just like the very warlike descriptions of his lawsuit like that doesn't scream benevolence or get your game right <laughs> yeah so his pistachio farms are so big that they don't have to worry about farming for the best yields they can basically they could be like kind of like mediocre at farming and still be highly profitable oh so they're just Wait, leaving a bunch of nuts on the ground? I think it's more like in terms of like being mechanized, like they can have just like trucks go through and kind of shake some and maybe some pistachios are mixed or maybe like missed or maybe they like don't get like sorted properly or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Like they don't have to be super careful and like make sure mm. that they're getting every single nut because they have like, what is that? 70,000 acres. So they're just like, Jeez. yeah, we're fine. Like speed and like low labor cost is more cost effective than having more nuts. In terms of are you going to speak more on the labor? Um I am a small amount. I didn't want to get back into that. No, no. I just was wondering because it's something where it is very mechanized. Do we mm-hmm. see him utilizing slightly more skilled labor because it is people who are now running machines as opposed to hand picking or are we still seeing very much the same kind of like migrant workers being paid peanuts 
<laughs> pistachios. Uh, um, it is well. Yes and no. They are. I'll get into a little bit later, but they really pride themselves on being like, again, like benevolent, like they're super big in charities and they do have, so like they're still employing kind of like migrant. And in some cases, like, again, like I never want to use the word illegal, but like undocumented, I guess. Um, but like workers there is an, as well. an element of illegality. To, like, and again, I, I don't feel comfortable with that term either, but like if you, if, if they as a business are employing somebody who, employing somebody who doesn't have papers like that's illegal on the business's side it's not necessarily the worker's fault or anything like that but that's a decision that they've made as a company yeah but I think it is more like they try and like do okay by their employees and like pay them like fairly well I have like a little I have a little section on that in a bit okay, I'm sorry. but again and it's like so yes like the pistachio thing is super mechanized but I think some of the other harvesting is, might not be because they have okay. so many different like, businesses right Okay, how did they become so successful? Water. Although I wrote this down before I fully read everything, and actually, the whole water thing is very interesting. Because actually, they would be more successful because of water if they'd, like, bought different land. They are reported to consume more water than the residents of LA and the Bay Area combined. Whoa. Oh, that's so fucked up. Yes. Because this is in California, the state that is notably always on the verge of a catastrophic drought. I'm like literally on fire right now. Yeah. Such always. Um, that's insane. And again, it just really harkens to the point of like all these fucking like people shaming other people by being like, oh, make sure that you don't take long showers and like make sure you're recycling. Blah, blah, blah. It does shit all for anything. Stop these asshole corporations that are taking all of the water, all of the fucking resources and just shitting out profit for themselves and crap for the rest. Yes, truly. Oh, that's abs- Oh, I'm so riled. <laughs> Gonna get worse. Um, so their farms are in Kern Valley, which is, I don't know, kind of near Fresno. I don't know. Not a California podcast. So all of the farmers in this valley <laughs> have diverted river flow from not only the Kern River, but also the San Joaquin and San Sacramento rivers in the north, which if you look at a map, is very far away. Like, they're draining water. So they've, like, artificially done this, yes? It's not just, like, there's streams that break off into this area? Yeah, no, like, no. They've, they're, like, gone in and, like, making, okay. like, water things. Hmm. So taking, basically, all of the water from the Kern, the San Joaquin, and the Sacramento rivers isn't even enough water because climate change and drought and we aren't supposed to be growing this much food oh but so that's not just the resnicks that's everyone who's farming in this valley but the resnicks are very much into water hijacking apparently (sighs) but also so is everyone else what's like where you'll kind of like sneakily like divert the water from your neighbors or like from like a town nearby like it's this sh- the shady underdealings of like water and farming is fascinating, and I only scratched the surface. So Resnick's fifteen million trees consume over four hundred thousand acre feet of water a year. 
I don't know what that actually means, like, in terms of numbers, but it's a lot. That's absurd. He gets all of this water uh, through shady backroom deals and a long, barely legal pipeline. (gasps) You sent me that article, which I Mm. thought I had written down, but it's uh, Kingdom of Dust. Yeah. So good. Highly recommend. So, so, so good. Um, Yeah. So basically sort of the through line of that article is the author trying to like trace where the Resnicks get their water because they've literally built this huge farming empire on like completely arid land. So like there's no underground aquifer. Like, yeah, like everyone else is pretty much using up all of the water that comes from the rivers. So So where the fuck do they get theirs? Oh my gosh. So he's got this like pipeline that's just like sneaky through and like no one will like really talk to him about it, but they're kind of like, oh yeah. (laughs) But then he'll like find like a farm worker and they'll be like, oh yeah, like drive up here and then take a left and then drive up this road for this many miles. And then you'll find like the pipeline. You're like, this is so shady. Yeah. And then there was also things where it's like, he was kind of getting some of this water from like what was sort of meant to be like a public aquifer but he was just like paying for it but anyway the pipeline was one of his main like sources and he got like it led up to the water supply of another billionaire john vidovich who for like a decade had been buying up farmland in the valley just to dig wells and then sell the groundwater underneath so this guy's doing the opposite Wow. Uh, so Vidovich claims in the Kingdom of Dust that he, that by selling a lot of his water to cities, his aim is to change the way big agriculture does business. So he actually like mostly sells his water to, because in California, the way that it works is it, or nowadays, you can't build a town without there being water, I think. Seems like I a just made pretty this up good all call. Of a sudden. Yeah. So he would sell and be like, yeah, like you can like have the, the, like, I will sell you the water supply. That's so fucked. Yeah. So he, so Vidovich claims that he wants to make big agriculture smaller and obviously make a shit ton of money while doing this. So, but he was still selling to Resnick. So there was a five year selling to Resnick. He was, but it's also like jacking up the price. Hmm. I did read that. After, so yes, so there was a five-year-long drought, the super intense drought from 2012 to 2017, 2011, like kind of like differing like that year. So it ended in 2017 and Resnick stopped buying water from Vitovich and has started like buying land that has groundwater. But in a way, Vitovich's plan kind of worked because the Resnick empire did shrink like a little bit, like they had to cut down a bunch of pomegranate groves. They sort of like shrunk some of their land. This is so upsetting right now. Like I am just like, I feel Mm -hmm. so yucky about this whole thing. Yeah, it is yucky. Well, and it's also like, it's all kind of like weird facts. And you're like, is this true? Like what's really going on? And I think that that's so much, not just of like business, but like food production in general is so like whispers, you know? Yeah, and it's also, like, you've got, like, one billionaire kind of, like, protecting another billionaire. Mm. 
Yeah. So uh, there, I read an article in Mother Jones, which kind of makes the claim that the reason that the Resnicks are able to get away with all of this, like, kind of shady water business without facing, like, a lot of scrutiny is because they have a charitable facade. So according to this article in Mother Jones, donation numbers reach around 48 million a year from the Resnicks. Hmm. 48 million, like, which is not unsubstantial. But no, I'm just picturing it being like, oh, I'm donating to like, you know, California water something. And then it's like, (laughs) oh, that's actually just us motherfuckers. No, they're not that bad. But um, the thing that I will point out, though, is like we should never forget the difference between one million and one billion. Yes. It is massive. So... It's often compared to time. So if you are spending, say, $1 a day and you have a million dollars, you will run out of money in 11.5 days. Wait, sorry. If you are spending a dollar a day and you have a million? Wait, maybe it's a dollar a second. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't seem right, but thank you so much for trying. Oh my goodness. So I read so dollar- many different, I read different like accounts of like what was going to make sense. So a dollar a second. dollar a second. Would run out of money in 11 days if you had a million. Yeah, 11 and a half days. Yes. Okay. Whereas if you have a billion and you're spending a dollar a second, you run out in 31.5 years. No! <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. So it's like, that's a big difference. Um, I also attempted to do... Okay, so yes, so... To be specific about the Resnicks and their charity donations, $48 million is 1.06% of 4.5 billion. Huh. So I attempted to do some math for a bit. (laughs) And basically, if you're making an average salary in Canada, which is about like Mm 52,000, to donate at the same percentile as the Resnicks, you would be donating around uh, $551 a year or $45 a month. Which is, like, nothing. Pretty standard and, like, less than what I pay for a gym membership that I don't use. And I already, you know. I'm sorry. With my avocado jar that I've got <laughs> with my change, I'm pretty sure I've already got 50 bucks in there. Yeah. Which is this whole separate issue, but anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I don't know, like, after all that, like, if I'm saying, like, the biggest point is that the Resnick's like donation pretense is a sham and we should all be more concerned with billionaires virtue signaling or that like average people should be donating money to. I mean, let's leave the average people alone. I mean, I think that it is a good point to make that an average person who's like working and like making money could afford to spend like $30 a month on like charities that support, I don't know, migrant workers, but there's a fun link in our Instagram. Or not link, because I, I couldn't figure out how to do that thing where it's like, swipe up and you make a donation. But uh, I am going to work on that. I really don't oh, know how to use any sort of technology, and it's super embarrassing, but I'm getting there. <laughs> but yes, we will have links. So you can donate links your, links links. your avocado shame money. Avocado um, shame. Or just like all fucking food shame money, because I think the general consensus of this is food was cool, then we had the wars, then things got strange, and now we should feel guilty. But you know who really should feel guilty is the The Resnicks because 48 million, 
not enough. So yeah, billionaires suck. (laughs) Yeah. Capitalism is the devil. Yes, truly. Uh, Let's talk a little bit. Spit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Stuart's wife, Linda, with a Y. Ew. She is the quote pomegranate queen, and the brand overseer of the empire. Why am I getting real like Persephone and Hades uh, pomegranate vibes with that queen? Of because the she's obsessed with pomegranates. I love that for her, but hate her. So, Palm, do you remember when Palm was, like, super huge? Like, I don't know, a decade Is it not and a half still ago? super huge? It's fallen off, which we will get into momentarily. But, yeah, Palm, I remember, like, my... The first memory of my parents, like, being into cocktails was they were making Cosmos, but they were actually making, like, Palm-teenies, which I are delicious. Mm. Pomegranate in general is great. Yeah, it they are. But, so, the thing is that, like... Linda was having the market as like super like health foods and being like, they'll like cure all of your diseases and like you won't get cancer because if you drink pomegranate juice, which um, they're not allowed to do anymore. <laughs> Weird, huh? You're not allowed to just make random claims to cure massively <laughs> fatal de- diseases. Strange. Yeah. So the quote is that the Federal Trade Commission found wonderful guilty of false advertising and ordered the Resnicks to stop claiming that palm cured heart disease and erectile dysfunction. Because <laughs> that's what they're... So that's like part of... Yes. Part of the craze. Because it's like, oh... Maybe she was this making is just those juice. claims because he could only get hard when he looked at their pomegranate money. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but so yes, so they were told to stop marketing that way, but it doesn't mean that they don't still like really push the like health kind of benefits. So uh, the quote here is their crops aren't crops, but heart healthy snacks and life extending elixirs. Linda's also very involved in the quote health and wellness of her employees, many of whom have diabetes and are overweight. She has a super uncomfortable to like read about like issue with like tortillas oh so she has a quote she's like what spikes what spikes blood sugar more than a can of coke a flour tortilla eat a corn tortilla instead oh my god yeah so it's of course most of their workers and who are being kind of like like given incentives to like lose weight like they'll get like bonuses if they like drop pounds or like do things but most of them are like mexican or like you know latina workers and she's just doing like like super uncomfortable like kind of like white savory to like straight up racist like health yeah oh my i'm like fully shocked that that's going on still in this day and age but i guess who is there to stop her when your worker population is has so little power and like also not to be like that but like diabetes is more common in like mexican people for sure like it's just Mm -hmm. statistically it is it's not anything to do well i i don't know if it's to do with diet i don't know enough about diabetes but i can like it's it's there shouldn't be any sort of like shame associated with it in terms of like your weight it's just a condition yeah, well, it's, she has this super, like, it's, it was really uncomfortable to read about, because it's just, like, she's basically blaming the workers, like, yeah, wait, on the fact that they're eating, like, 
Latin foods, which are characterized as unhealthy and therefore to blame for the workers' health problems, which I don't know, maybe it's their living conditions or maybe it's like genetics, but... Or maybe it's the fact that if you pay people peanuts, like statistically, it is a fucking proven fact that if you do not have enough money, you cannot support yourself on a healthy diet. Fucking, like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, many mm-hmm. feelings. Well, and then it's also a thing where it's like, they do have, like, they've got like a cafeteria in their, like, processing plants, like, for the workers to use, and like a gym and stuff. And the like so like quote-unquote healthy things like cauliflower crust pizza and like like grain bowls with like steamed salmon and stuff are super super cheap whereas like what it would be perceived as like less less healthy options are more expensive so it's like that's kind of their incentivizing like they're trying to make it more accessible but again they're only making accessible the like rich white lady version of health food and it's like i don't know maybe bringing like a burrito that your wife made is going to make you like feel better at work because you're, it's like happier and it's like a reminder of home rather than in general, just like, I think we're completely bypassing the entire problem of this, which is mm. that like, there should be no fucking problem if these people are like fat, like it shouldn't, first of all, it's none of our fucking business. And True. second of all, it's not a fucking comment on their like capabilities or like their value as human. Oh yes, Absolutely. What a fucking crazy situation. Yeah, it's rough. Oh and it's my. again, like, it's all coming from that sort of, like, pretend, like, benevolence. But it's, like, the I know what's best for you. Ugh. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, as much as we mm-hmm, discuss mm-hmm. the problems of white men doing things, the problems of white women, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. It's, Especially it's, just, like, with like everything that's going on in the world and especially like the racial injustices that are consistently happening in America, but especially being highlighted now, like I saw some great meme that it was like, who the fuck do you think designed those like hoods for like the KKK? Like, Oh, women sewed those. It wasn't like, you know, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, not to say that this woman is a KKK, but I'm not going to not say that. I mean, they're Jewish, so they're definitely not in the KKK. Mm, well, that's good. So, according to a couple quotes from like the actual farm workers who are mm. working for Wonderful, they say it's better than working like other farm jobs because they don't have to deal with corrupt, exploitative farm labor contractors. Which, again, listen to the avocado episode for that depressing AF reality. How, sorry, just to interrupt there. How are they sourcing these like these migrant workers then? I don't know. Because I felt like that was part of the issue. It wasn't necessarily the farmers themselves mm-hmm. in California that were the problem. It was the fact that, like, in order to get these people there, they were using some really shitty middle management, basically. Yes. Again, I didn't find facts. This is just, like, what I'm seeing quoted was that they're like, yeah, like, it's better. I think it could be, like, maybe some workers were able to kind of get out of that cycle and then are working for um wonderful and then they, like it seems like it's a lot of people just like like actual workers bringing in like their family oh okay that's interesting. so like that's the thing and they're also so like it's such a huge company that i guess they can afford to like pay people better and like not i i don't know again, again. better in very like you know loose terms yeah and so 80 percent of their workers still have no legitimate documents according 
two things that I read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Lind and Linda has apparently made it another one of her philanthropic projects is to turn the town where all of the workers live into like a nice suburb. But I also read that that was only after an expose came out about how shitty the living conditions were. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Like it seems like they're, you know, it's like the conditions are good, but is that only because they have to, the conditions have to be good in order to maintain their, like, we are like a healthy, like good for you. Good for everyone company. Or just like good comparatively. Like you can Mm -hmm. have these people saying that things are nice, but it's like, okay, maybe it's just that I'm not being fucking worked to death in the field for $0 with my passport held hostage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, should we talk advertising? Hell yeah. So most of the wonderful pistachio marketing relies on the use of celebrities. So I just have like Ooh. a little background on celebrity endorsements as like a concept. Yes, please. So celebrities have been used in advertising since the late 1800s. The cigarette industry was one of the first to use them profusely because, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, it is obviously now common practice. The best kind of like number that I could find was from 2007, but it says that the top 10 athletes earn $287.5 million in endorsement income. Wow. And... Again, also a bit of like, I think it was like a 2009 uh, numbers, but around 20% of all TV ads in the US rely on famous people, which isn't like huge, but it's not nothing to sneeze at. No. But yeah, so like why would these ad companies or just companies in general use celebrities at all? Because it is heckin' expensive to do so, obviously. It's like you've got to pay a lot depending on who you're getting to. But it could be because... In our world, the value the consumer obtains from a product is determined by how many other people also purchase this product in a lot of senses. So yeah, so it's like social standing. We want to be seen as buying the, quote, right clothes or food products. I was like, sorry, this is just something that, like I've been thinking about recently a lot. And I'm just like, another reason why I fucking will never have children is because I do not want to be like, I was my poor mother, a single mom with two kids having her asshole kid come home and be like, I need you to buy me $100 pants in the Mm. fucking fifth grade. Like, thank God I don't give a fuck anymore. (laughs) Yes. But it is like, it's, and it's funny because you, we think about that kind of, not like peer pressure, but sort of like implicit social pressure to Mm -hmm. like have the same kind of clothes. Like everyone, like, why are we all trying to dress the exact same? But it's not just like a middle school phenomenon. It's, it's like everyone. Oh, yeah. There's also a lot of writing on what the practical impacts of ads are on consumers. Mm. So it's like when you're making an ad, you are like thinking about consumers consuming ads. You have to wonder, have they seen the ad? Have they seen the ad, but then forgotten and therefore made a purchase as if they hadn't seen it? Or have they seen it and based on the ad formed a specific opinion about the product that will affect their purchases? Hmm. So it's interesting because it's like, I don't know, I feel like I, I remember lots of ads. I think I do. And I don't even like watch that much like ad based television, but. I think what gets it for me is the Instagram ads because they're fucking repetitive, right? Like mm. I saw like one specific dress like a million times advertised. I finally bought it. I didn't like it. I returned it. But like that fucking ad got me. But it's like, how many times have I seen an ad and then not like, I've been like, oh yeah, like this stupid thing again. And then not bought the product. Well, I don't know. I feel like I'm, they get me. They do. 
like those fucking magnetic eyelashes I saw those fucking everywhere after I started googling it one time or like I was uh just chatting with Lauren the other day so we're chatting and we mentioned Uniqlo like one second it doesn't even mm. like one second I immediately open my phone on my way home and it's fucking right there like it's the first fucking thing I see and then like it was a fucking ad in real life the next day someone mentions it to me like immediately and I'm just like did you get the ad too <laughs> Well, it's super interesting. So a lot of this stuff that I was reading is like a little bit older and I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'd like refined my search better and could find like more recent data, but a lot of it is like kind of pre, yeah, like Instagram ads and like Facebook like ads where it's so integrated because like a lot of it's just like, yeah, like did they like hear it on the radio or like see it in this magazine? It's like how much can we assume that, you know, people will read the magazine? And then it was like also the idea that's like, seeing one celebrity associated with like multiple different like endorsement products lowers yeah and it makes it seem like huh like if they have like so many products that they're endorsing like is it real like are they just throwing it around willy-nilly but then maybe you get like a Jennifer Aniston where it's like yeah Aveeno smart water done perfect that is the perfect brand for her really it is well and they've also been shown that like Um, celebrity endorsement works best when the image and characteristics of the celebrity align with the product, which makes sense. But it's like, oh yeah, Uh, celebrity endorsement has also been shown to increase brand recall and be uh, the signifier of higher quality product to the consumer. Interesting. Because maybe this is just us being Mm -hmm. like in a different, like not necessarily like in a different stage of it or anything, but I definitely know for myself, like some things that aren't endorsed by celebrities that are like, okay, like, let's take The Ordinary, which is the skincare that I'm currently Mm -hmm. using because I really like it. Like, I haven't seen a celebrity endorse that. What I have seen is, like, their marketing is so based on, at least my perception of it, is very much based on, like, the fact that it's attainable for everyone because it's got a low price point and also that it's, like, very chemically sound because they've designed it intelligently so they're marketing it more. Like, without, like, I feel like if a celebrity then started to advertise The Ordinary, it would ruin it for me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, is that something that we are seeing as well or no? Um, Not as much, but I think that that is true where it's like most celebrity endorsements are for kind of more like luxury items because again, Mm. you were wanting to align ourselves with that celebrity. So it's like, oh, like I want to be, I mean, I don't even know. (laughs) What is the celebrity? Beyonce. But she doesn't really do endorsements. No, but if she did, I'd be there. But then that's even, we can get into different territory where it's like she has her own brand. Yes. The best brand. R.A.P. her suing that woman. Bridal. Oh, yeah. Bridal. Yeah. Mm, Beyonce. I love it. That's bad on her. That is is a bad look. I'm sorry. I feel like all too often people focus on the fact that Beyonce is very wealthy and ignore the fact that she's just a successful black woman getting hers in a world not designed for her. So I support her taking anyone down. Suing a woman for the use of the name of her child, even though the woman had a business. Oh, I thought it was uh, the fiance shirts, not the name of her child. No. Oh, no. right. I remember that. It was the woman has like a wedding planning company or like a like a bridal company called Blue Ivy. And Beyonce sued and was basically just like, you can't use it. That's my child's trademarked name. It's like I love that. Again, I support Beyonce in all endeavors. I know you do. I don't know. I'm mm, mm, mm. I can't talk no. to you if you're gonna continue in this vein. 
I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should believe the conspiracy theories about the baby factories. How dare you? <laughs> no. How dare terrible. you disrespect the queen? Sorry. In case you didn't do the last poll on our Instagram, which, by the way, is Pantry Staples Pod. Um, I don't yeah. know. Uh, anyways, uh, go like, follow, whatever. If you didn't do the quiz on avocado and from no corn. Corn is not king. <laughs> Beyonce is king. So, back to wonderful pistachios. Mm-hmm. Uh, the initial $15 million campaign, of marketing campaign, in 2009 increased their sales by 233%. Holy shit. Also, as we've discussed, that 15 million is like less than 1% for them. Yes. Like drop in the bucket. Um, so this that first kind of like campaign, this was like the first big one. I think it like aired around like Super Bowl time, because of course. And it had just like a bunch of kind of like random celebrities like opening pistachio nuts in like unique ways i couldn't find anything i couldn't find any like i couldn't find the videos but yeah it was like they had like i don't know like a dominatrix and like football i don't even it was just like a bunch of things it was like seemed like kind of like sort of like minor celebs and like more like athletes Mm. so that was that first one and it was like wildly successful and oh this campaign by the way is their get kraken campaign that's trash, and I love it. Uh, so then there were the Stephen Colbert ads, which, do you remember these? No, I feel like I don't see a lot of ads, actually. Um, These these were fun. <laughs> I They're like, it also falls into this realm of like, kind of like bizarro advertising, which is something I've been wanting to like research and write about for years. But I can't find any... Like, no one else seems to be writing about the fact. And I think it's all about, like, millennials getting into advertising and doing just, like, crazy, like, almost, like, surreal shit. (laughs) Okay, explain the ad so that I know what you're talking about. Okay, well, so the Stephen Colbert ones, it's, like, the peak of his, like, Colbert Report character when he's still kind of that, like, America raw raw character. Mm. I don't know. I didn't. I never watched the Colbert Report. Sorry, but it's so like there's a big focus on like the Americanness of the pistachios. So it's like he's got like the an eagle with him all the time, like an animated eagle. That's like kind of his like like, know, like straight man character. Yeah. So like there's they're calling it like pistachios the national nut. That is so fucking interesting because I actually, I'm sorry, maybe this is the perfect time to bring this up, but I have this really interesting um, article that I read. It's not necessarily about like pistachios as a whole, but it's just Mm -hmm. about like the creation of a cookbook for like um, food uh, from, it's the article is entitled Jerusalem on a Plate, Identity, Tradition, and Ownership. And I'll just quickly read you the bit here. Um, Let's see. These chefs are talking about, we both had a sense that this would be a mammoth task requiring some painful whittling, something we weren't quite sure we would actually make sense at the end. More importantly, we had doubts whether we really wanted to revisit the city we left more than two decades earlier. Jerusalem is an ancient place with the burden of its history very much evident in every alleyway and on every stone wall. It constantly looks back to its past in order to validate the present. It is frequently somber and reflective. These traits are a good reason for any young forward 
looking adult to run a million miles away. And that's pretty much what Sammy and I did in our youth, embracing a modern carefree Western lifestyle first in Tel Aviv and then London. The food that we ended up cooking and serving in our restaurants, although often utilizing ingredients from the Middle East, is also far from traditional. In a sense, it's more San Francisco or Sydney or London than it is Jerusalem. Why would we go back for a look? Then they go on to discuss different recipes and that's where they get into the pistachios. But isn't that interesting how something that is like indigenous to the Middle East is very much being perceived as part of a more global palette and like now American. Yes. Well, to such a, and through these ads, like so much, and especially with the Stephen Colbert ones, because again, like it was part of his character of like American flag and like the Eagle, which mm-hmm. is a joke, but also isn't right. Like it, it's enough of a joke that like, I mean, it's super smart where it's like, you can have the sort of, like liberal like haha we're, ha, ha, we're poking fun but also like yes like of course i want to support like american like nuts i did do the gung-ho arms there for that I but then the but i feel like the like stephen colbert especially again with that character also bridged enough where like like a more like republican audience could be like yeah like of course like yes like american made like i don't know that's this is such an interesting point in general, not necessarily about pistachios or food in general, but just um, how that line that so many people are comfortable walking where they're like, oh, like this is, I'm poking fun at it. So if like the more liberal contingent wants to say something, they know that I'm poking fun at it, but also it's not going to displease the fucking like conservative Republicans. And basically you're pandering to everybody while not actually taking a stand and you're probably a morally shit person. Yes. I mean, and again, this is also in like 2013. So it's like, I, you, it wouldn't work now. You couldn't do it now. So it's, I think that's also very interesting. But um, yeah, like he makes some weird, I should have taken quotes, but I was, you can go on YouTube and just like watch them all in a row. And they're just like, yeah, like getting into that, like super weird, like there's a, one where he's like dressed in like a pistachio like tie and like all green and then he like pulls open his head and then his like little face <laughs> inside is a pistachio like it's like that kind of like almost yeah like i get what you're saying i don't want to call them like surreal because that word gets used that's weirdly. a very specific thing and we don't want to but there the is like this these ads kind of fall under this sort of like surrealist like marketing trend of the sort of like mid 2010s that I've seen like I don't know but then you can also trace it back to like the 90s like I always think about gushers ads yes when like the people's heads turn into like watermelons and grapes such a strange set of ads there I also there's a toothpaste commercial that I saw like maybe two years ago that I've been trying to find or maybe it was like gum that I've been trying to find, but I, I've never seen it again. And it was like a bunch of those like chattering teeth. Yeah. And it was just like so bizarre. And it was like all of this, like so many different like colors and swirling things. And then it was just like, buy this gum. And I was like, who? So weird. Who is making these ads? Like they're so crazy. I don't know. I Something I want to write about. I don't know how to find facts or even it's hard to find some of these commercials that are just like swirling around in the ether of my brain. But the yes these Stephen Colbert ones you can find so that's 
that was like a huge campaign. He is no longer a part of it. So then they moved on to other famous people. No, so there's one, there's um, the recording artist, Psy, like the South Korean oh! guy. Like there's like a whole like Gangnam style. Like, that seems like it would be a great mesh. And again, it's just like pistachios with like lady legs and like heels, like dancing. Like it's so insane. There's also like a Snoop Dogg one where he like opens up like a little like pill bottle filled with pistachios and like cracks one. And then the tag is Snoop does it habitually. There was also like a very poor like Kardashian. Was it mm, Chloe maybe? I don't remember. That tracks. I zoned out. It was uncomfortable to watch. Mm. <laughs> so they have like a bunch of those for a bit. And I don't think those were as like big of a campaign the most recent one is ernie the elephant voiced by john cena john cena he got a lot going on he does these ones are not nearly as good in my humble opinion but they have spent the most money on them so far so in 2016 they launched this campaign for 55 million dollars which is notably more than that donation yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Uh so Ernie the Elephant is animated by the same studio that did The Jungle Book. Oh, cool. Live action. Uh it's also coupled with a commitment to elephant conservation cuz got to have that charitable angle. Oh. <laughs> um I love elephants. I hope that they're not. That's Yeah. It's just like they're just like they're kind of weird but just they're a lot like tamer i guess like it's ernie the elephant's like in an elevator just like talking about pistachios that one is also like kind of a weight joke which is like mm, interesting really? we're gonna do that now bold choices also total side note but i may need to mm-hmm. ask you this for ages did you ever watch babar as a kid um i yes i did i read the books did you enjoy well. it yes okay good chat um i mean like as like like a small like french immersion child it was like yeah like of course you're gonna read babar but then that's another one where it's like you get into like fucked colonial things because like babar is like clearly like a french white guy character in like north africa and you're like um uh." yeah also i just remember like recently like it caught my eye I, i swear i saw something about it on tv or something like that but i was just like i didn't actually like this show but it was just always fucking on um, okay, so there's this quote from the VP of marketing. Snacking makes up half of all eating occasions in America. Really? I just love the idea of an eating occasion. Yeah, that's all of my eating is occasional. It's like, yeah, and snacking is also most of my eating occasions. Yeah. Um, so yes, they're still very much pushing the health aspect. So we have another quote here. We encourage fans to trade in their salty snacks for something new this season. To snack smarter, fans should crack open wonderful pistachios, a natural guilt-free option that's one of the lowest calorie and highest protein nuts. The association of guilt with snacking is deeply troubling. Thank you so much for that, Linda. True, 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 true. Um, I did a little bit of research about whether like the marketing claims of pistachios being the healthiest nut are true. And as usual, it's like, 
maybe. So they do have a lot of nutrients. So they've got beta carotene, vitamin B6, potassium, magnesium, etc. They're also higher in carotenoids than mm. like a lot of other nuts. So that's an antioxidant, which is apparently helpful for heart health. Um, I did read a lot actually too about like mm. pistachios being considered better for your heart and like from like historical research onto it as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that, that is like kind of a proven thing. They have a lot of fat, obviously. So one serving, which is 49 nuts. Who the fuck makes these sizes up anyways? I don't know. That, and that's another thing that I read that because they're like smaller than like almonds or walnuts, you can have more of them. So like that's, <gasps> that's like a good thing. So the serving size is like much higher. Like I think almonds is like 13. Hmm. I don't know. But a serving of pistachios is 49 nuts, which... So that has 13 grams or 17% of your recommended daily total. But all of their fats are like the quote unquote good fats or like the motto unsaturated. So the conversation three good fats is still so confusing. Uh, makes me so annoyed. Um, dietitians interviewed for Time Magazine say that eating pistachios with the shells on is best because having to shell them yourself slows your snacking down and increases mindfulness. I 100% thought you meant that you should pop them in with the shell in your <laughs> mouth and just, like, fucking fiber. go to town on it. Yeah, it's fiber. Like, yeah, that would decrease how many I ate if I had to fucking gnaw through that. <laughs> just slivers <laughs> in your throat. Just, like, the most uncomfortable bowel movements later as well. Oh. Sorry, everyone. But... <laughs> um, of... No. They're claiming that the act of shelling makes you slow down, which is something that I have never found to be true in terms of pistachios. It hurts my fingers, so I only eat a fair few of them. So oh, see, for me. for me, it's like the like habitual, like routine, like motion, like repetitive motion of like opening them. It's like addictive to like my hands, so I'll eat like an entire bag just like slowly, like mindlessly, like like. So maybe that's something else with my psyche that I should talk to someone about. Eh. <laughs> um. So yeah, the article, this article, and then I skimmed a bunch of others. They never mentioned the fact that, like, I'm sure that 90% of people are buying salted pistachios. That is which 100% the fact. has to make them less good for you. But again, nobody spoke to that fact. Nobody's as concerned about sodium intake as I feel like they should be. Yeah, I don't, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. All right, so I've just had like my last like little thing here, just to kind of step away from California and like I don't know run away from the Resnicks for a bit. Yeah, they. I mean, um, do they let you escape? No. Yeah. Uh, China and pistachios. Yes, let's do it. Well, so China is the sixth largest producer, but mm -hmm. most of that is just consumed domestically. Yeah. As of 2014, domestic consumption dropped in China below 50%. Really? However. Yeah. So, or like consumption of the domestic nuts, I think is what that means. But then so it they were increased for the imported ones. Yes, exactly. Pistachios are marketed as a healthy, somewhat luxury item. So they fit kind of well into the aesthetics of the burgeoning Chinese middle class. Mm -hmm which again, like luxury is a big thing. So this 2014 study found that Chinese customers were willing to pay more for California pistachios, but only like a little bit more. So 
yeah, so they're definitely like importing more. And so I think as the pistachios are becoming more popular and sort of more popular with this like middle class, the import, the number of imported nuts consumed is going up. That's so fucked. But they also found that they were being purchased by a more diverse economic group and hypothesized that pistachios are starting to be seen less as a luxury and are being purchased more often. And thus the demand will soon surpass the supply, which is very interesting. The supply of like foreign nuts or the supply of, that they're as well? Of domestic nuts. So then imports okay. will rise. So then this article was basically being like, hey, California growers, like let's get into the Chinese market, which I actually think that they have. Yeah, that makes sense. Or maybe Iran also has because of the weird trade stuff going on. Anyway, I don't know. It's just interesting because I don't really think about China as like a pistachio eating. But I guess it makes sense. I think it definitely does. But I find it so interesting how all too often China will produce a bunch of something that then like they are unable to export because the demand for it is so high within the country like they make Mm. wine there and that's only ever drunk in china because they do not have the ability to like they have just it's too much consumption within the country yeah which is that is very interesting any last pistachio thoughts um just like again that article that i like read you the long quote from for those guys like it's interesting how something that is so like homey to like Mm the middle east is just very much like that identity is so lost in modern times yeah and i wonder if like like the middle eastern like diaspora like because of everything that's like gone on Mm. for thousands of years in that region has like led to such like a yeah globalization of their food products which i think is interesting and i appreciate because I don't know. I love hummus. Love pistachios. Love. Yeah. No, that's so fair. That just like the and I guess that's the gist of it. The more people spread, the more food spreads. Mm-hmm. Well, pistachios are great. Very excited. Sad that I ate all my pistachio ice cream. I did eat like a lot of it. I have so much of instant pistachio pudding left that I have to figure out what to deal with. Maybe I'll like whisk it again to try you and like thicken it. it. I feel like it'll get so pistachio pudding pop, icy and like crystallized. See, I kind of. <laughs> I'll let you know what happens. Yeah, please do. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, yes, rate, review, subscribe. We need to become muy famous and rich from this, so that we can retire from our day jobs and live the life of luxury. Slash, just make enough money to support our wine habit. Oh, please, please support our wine habit, everybody. I don't know how you can do that. Just. I don't know. Other thoughts. Should we have a Patreon that's just exclusively called Panty Staples and as you can see us recording this in the nude? Uh, given how like sweaty I get just like sitting in my bathroom recording this, that's a terrible idea. Oh yeah, and the fact that I've literally never had a shower before we record. I'm always <laughs> disgusting. Alright, well you have Is to go and get ready for, for anyone. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.